0: So today we finish our series on hypocrisy and grace. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Today we conclude our study in Matthew chapter 23. This will be the last sermon in this series. Matthew chapter 23 is the last public message that Jesus preached before he was crucified on the cross at Calvary. And Matthew 23 records the most severe message that Jesus ever preached. So in chapter 23, Jesus accuses the the scribes and the Pharisees of abusing their authority, um, of usurping the chair of Moses. He says that in the beginning of chapter 23. Uh, To begin with, they spend all their energy creating Massive burdens to place upon the people. And yet they will not so much as lift a finger to help with these these burdens. Um, These Pharisees, they love the places of honor and the titles that set them apart from everybody else. They love to exalt themselves. But Jesus made it clear that in his kingdom, it is the humble who are exalted. And those who exalt themselves will be humbled by God. So Matthew 23 records eight woes that we've been studying. And these are the woes that he announces upon the scribes and the Pharisees. And the first woe we saw was in verse 13. And the woes begin and Jesus warns the people not to follow these hypocritical Pharisees because these Pharisees, these leaders themselves are headed for hell. And they will lead their followers after them. So today we conclude the the last of these woes. And remember the the strength of Jesus' words are are unique to this chapter because he is announcing his condemnation upon these false teachers who had led so many people astray. And uh, we pray that this morning the Spirit would help us to learn from the sin of that generation and to listen to the warning that the Lord gives moments or a week before he is crucified. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 23 from verse 25 to the end of the chapter to verse 39. If you would follow along with me in your Bibles. So, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate... But within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he Who comes in the name of the Lord. So last week we studied verse 29 to verse 33. And we learned last week that these scribes and these Pharisees had built the tombs of the the martyred prophets, they had adorned and decorated the, the monuments of godly men of old who had been slain by their forefathers. And they had been slain for their faithful testimony to the truth of God's word. And these Pharisees, they proudly boasted that they had, if they had been alive in the time of their fathers, they would never have been partakers of such murderous acts. And yet our Lord does not speak these dreadful words of condemnation to the forefathers, Instead, he speaks these, these dreadful words to this generation. He speaks to these religious hypocritical leaders who were even at that point planning on murdering the very Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. This is the same generation. In fact, a week later, they would be shouting to Pilate, the Roman governor at that time released Barabbas and crucify Jesus. So look with me at verse 34 this morning. In verse 34, look at the, the first word that is mentioned, is therefore. And Jesus is saying that because of their hypocrisy, so this is linked to last week, okay? Because of their hypocrisy, Because they truly had the same murderous intentions as their their forefathers had towards the prophets and the spokespeople of God in the former days. Because of that fact, underneath all of their religious covering, they were nothing but snakes and vipers who were doomed to the judgment of hell. And Jesus tells them, what he is about to allow to happen in the closing verses of this chapter. So my first point this morning is the prophecy of their guilt. The prophecy of their guilt. Read with me in verse 34. Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. So Jesus, in his words, declares himself to to possess the authority of God. He declares himself to be the one who will send these spokespeople from God. And this was a, a statement concerning what they had already been doing, but also a prophecy of what they would continue to do in the future. And as God, he had He had sent messengers to their forefathers. And as God, he would continue to send messages to them. And some of these messengers would be prophets. Some would be wise men. Some would be scribes. But regardless, they would all carry one message. And that message would be the gospel of Christ. And if you read the record of what happened after that if we go back to the, the Book of Acts and we see some of the letters that are written to the different churches, as as is recorded for us, we'll see that everything happened just as Jesus prophesied. Now, the Jewish leaders of that generation they drove the apostles out. Every single one of the prophet the, the apostles, sorry, were murdered except for John. All the believers were eventually driven out of the temples. And then they were eventually driven out of Jerusalem as a result. And then followed them from city to city, people persecuting those who were faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even crucifying them, even beheading them, even throwing them into the different, different dens to be killed. But look at 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the apostle Paul put it this way when he wrote to his brothers and th- sisters in Thessalonica um, who were being persecuted for their faith. And Paul says in verse 14, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions That you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. This is the Apostle Paul's words of comfort to these saints who were being persecuted. And this was a result of the prophecy that Jesus had made right here in Matthew chapter 23. So we see these scribes and the Pharisees were continuing in the persecution of God's spokesmen, just like their fathers did, just as characterized by their forefathers. But because they lived in the, the most privileged of all time, of all ages, the times in which the, the prophets spoke about this particular generation, Secured for themselves the blood guiltiness of all the ages. Jesus says that he would allow them to persecute and kill his spokesman. Look at verse 35. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly I say to you all these things will come upon this generation. So think about that for a moment. All the righteous blood shed on earth would be laid upon this generation. I mean, what a what a terrible judgment. What a terrible judgment. What a dreadful burden of guilt. This generation would carry. For 2,000 years since the Lord spoke these words, He has continued to send messengers just as He prophesied. And church history is is stained with the blood of martyrs. And the more God sends, the more they are persecuted by those who oppose the, the truth. Yet He continues to send. Because He love, because He is love, because He is mercy, because He is just. We don't like to speak of God's justice. Another word for justice is is judgment. We spoke a little bit about that last week. Rather, and and for good reason, we like to speak of of God's desire to save people. We have heard a message of God's judgment last week. A hard message to hear. But scripture is full of God's holy judgment. And these, we, these words that we are studying are the revealed words of God. This is not something that we have made up. This is not something that is a fairy, a fairy story, a fairy tale. This is the revealed words of God. And God himself has said it. He would continue to send prophets in order that those opposed to the truth And those who mistreat them, in order that his measuring cup of judgment might fill up, until he would pour out his wrath against his enemies. And in this case, his enemies were primarily those who claimed to be his children. And don't miss the principle that's revealed here for us. Even though these words aren't spoken directly to us, they are for us. Okay. God allows people to sin to the full, but he will also judge to the full. Don't miss that principle. One commentator in Matthew 23, he said it this way. The harvest of hypocrisy is hell. Let me say that again. The harvest of hypocrisy is hell. Whether we like to speak about hell or not, whether we like to speak about God's judgment or not, the truth is there in the Scriptures. God's judgment for hypocrisy is hell. And the Jews claim to be God's people But they killed those whom God had sent. And such was their hypocrisy, yet the Lord allowed it. Yet the Lord allowed it, knowing that there would come a time when His undiluted judgment would be poured out upon this generation. The prophets preached. Some responded. Many did not. And we know, as the saying goes... The same sun that melted the wax hardened the clay. we would do well to pause for a moment and consider how this applies even to us, not just this generation. We do not live in the first century. We do not directly face the dangers of which Christ spoke to, to this generation. But there is a very relevant application for us. The gospel is a savor of life to some and a savor of death to others. God is glorified whenever his gospel is preached. And Paul spoke of this clearly in the second epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 2, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. He said, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us, Spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing. Verse 16. To one a fragrance from death to death. To the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Some people see the gospel as a fragrance from death to death. Some people will oppose the gospel. We will never be popular when we preach the gospel. But to others, some will respond. We will be a fragrance from life to life. Don't expect everybody to to love the gospel. But whenever the gospel is preached, God is glorified. And that's the point, folks. We're not here to please man, we're not here for a popularity contest. We're here to honor God, to glorify God. And it doesn't matter about the response that we receive from people, whether it's a good response or a bad response. What matters is that we faithfully declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it's hard or whether it's easy, whether we get good response or whether we get a bad response, we are to be faithfully declaring the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can't be making excuses for God. God is going to judge sin. And that's a message that people don't like to hear. And people want to cover that over and, and dilute it. But God's wrath is revealed, folks. And people will stand under the judgment of God if they do not repent of their sins and turn to Him in faith. That is a difficult message to preach. But it's a message we need to preach even to those that are our loved ones and know us the best and are closest to us. We need to love them enough to share the truth with them. We cannot water down the gospel. We cannot make excuses for God. I read this week a a quote from John Cooper who is the, the lead singer of Skillet. They are an American Christian rock band. Um, And he had some profound words. He said, I've been saying for 20 years that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to a 20-year-old worship singer as a source of truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the word. I thought that was profound. We spoke about that last week, isn't it? I'll say it again. Jesus is not a build bear God. We are created in God's image. And we need to make sure that we have a, a biblical understanding of who God is. Yes, He is love. But He will also judge. He is righteous. He is holy. And sin deserves to be punished. This is who God is. And I think John Cooper is is correct here. You know not only our twenty year old worship singers our source of truth, but but we also turn to YouTube and we turn to Facebook and we, we turn to Instagram. Why don't we go back to the to the scriptures and read what the Bible has to say about who God is? Why don't we turn to the scriptures and study the Bible? I think one reason is because we, we're lazy. We want to be entertained. We don't want to do the hard work of, of digging out these, these diamonds from the scripture and learning these hard truths about the God who created us. And as a result, we, we settle down for a, a diluted and, and watered down, build-a-bear version of Jesus. A God who we would like and God who we have made in our image. Even though the scriptures say that Jesus is gentle and he's lowly in heart, where we will find rest for our souls and that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, that is just one side of the scriptures, folks. Right here, Matthew chapter 23, teaches us that Jesus is holy that he is God. And he is just. And there will be a day of judgment. And Jesus will be that judge. And we will have to give an account one day. But we see in the rest of the passage here, even though these strong statements are there, even though this terrible, severe message is there, we see the anguish of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We see the anguish over their guilt, in verse 37 to verse 39. And before we label Jesus too harsh and, and too unloving, we see in these verses his, his anguish clearly revealed. He took no delight. In the death of the wicked. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. Look at verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. the Lord, as we have seen, pronounced eight woes upon these religious hypocrites and Pharisees of His day. Again and again, He cried out, Woe! But right here, the woes turn into O's. The woes were cries of judgment. But this O is a is a cry of painful sorrow. He desperately wished that he did not have to pronounce woes on his people. And the O is followed by a repetition of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And the Lord was grieved over the fact that his people, his chosen people had so often rejected him and rejected his word. I mean, this is a, a wonderful picture for us to, to concrete in our minds, to burn in our minds here. This is a tender picture illustrating the Lord's sadness. And Jesus uses the image of a, of a hen that is gathering her, her chicks under her, her protective wings. And the mother hen is, is extremely caring and protective. And the mother hen will notice the sky begin to, to cloud over and will hear the, the distant rumble of thunder. And though her chicks may not understand all that is happening, the mother knows what is coming. And she knows that the, the frightening lightning will, will soon come. And she rushes across the, the farmyard chasing her, her chicks until they are all gathered safely under her wings. And the chicks don't know what is going on. They don't understand. But when the rain comes, and when the thunder comes, and when the lightning comes, they are thankful and grateful that they are there under the wings of their mother. They feel a heartbeat. They feel secure. They feel safe. This is the picture that we have before us, painted for us right here in Matthew 23. The skies of God's judgment had been growing darker and darker over the years. These Jews, like these naive chickens, they had been fluttering around the farmyard with a false sense of security. They did not know what was coming. But Jesus, who is God, had been urging them for centuries to come and gather under his protective wings. But they refused They refused to do so The Old Testament mentions this Desire of Messiah several times Let me give you a few examples In Psalm 91 verse 4 It says He shall cover you with his feathers And under his wings you shall take refuge His truth shall be your shield and buckler We read that this morning Again, Psalm 36, verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of the men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. And again in Psalm 61, verse 4. I will abide in your tabernacle forever, and I will trust in the shelter of your, your wings. The Lord was intentional about using this, this picture, because it was a picture that the Jews were familiar with. And they rejected it the safety of the loving arms of their Savior. The Messiah desired to gather Israel under the safety of His wings. But the nation rejected His promise of protection. And now it faced the storm that was about to hit them. But we need to remember that God is compassionate. His desire was for them To come to Him. That was His desire all along. Let me just say, God is not the cause of anyone being lost, folks. People are the cause. People are the reason that they are lost. It is their fault, not God's fault. God gets the glory for salvation. But humans get the blame for condemnation. John chapter 3, verse 16, we all know. I'm sure we all know off by heart. But how many of you know John three seventeen? The next verse says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. People don't go to hell because of Jesus, folks. They go to hell because of their sin. Because they've rejected Jesus. God didn't come in the world to condemn people. Jesus made this very clear. He would gladly gather the Israelites together if they would come to him. But they refused. And the blame rested at the feet of those who rejected Jesus. And the same is true today, folks. The incarnate word of God wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem. God's terror was accompanied by by God's tears. And that's the same case that it is today. But I have a question for us this morning. Do you cry for the lost? Have you ever shed a tear for those who are facing this judgment approaching? Paul expressed his own desire for unbelieving Israel. He said in Romans chapter ten, verse verse one, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. He expressed this desire at least twice in the in the book of Romans, where he wrote again and again of the sovereignty of, of God in salvation. He desired for them to be saved. He prayed for their salvation. But I think there's a problem, folks, when our doctrine of salvation makes us hard to those who are outside of Christ. There's a problem with our theology when we become hard to those who reject the the Lord Jesus Christ. We've missed something about the character of God, especially in his salvation. Do we weep the tears of Christ over the lost? Do we pray for them earnestly? Or are we hard to those who reject it? Are oh, They get what they deserve. We should proclaim the truth. We should unashamedly proclaim the truth. And that does include the judgment of God. But when we speak about his judgment, it must always be with a broken heart, folks. It must be with a broken heart. And this is the manner in which Christ pronounced judgment. He didn't wish it upon him. And he wasn't just lethargic about it. He was saddened by it. Do we pray for the lost? Do we call out to God for the salvation of those lost in their darkness? If you are not a Christian this morning, let me talk to you for a moment. If you are not a Christian, don't blame God for your unwillingness to repent. Jesus' generation was not willing to repent. And those who do not repent today do not repent because of their own unwillingness. We are lost because of our own miserable guilt. We are saved because of God's matchless grace. We didn't deserve it. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers and authors, he said it well. He said, if you have but a spark of desire urging you to Christ... God has a furnace of grace ready to receive you. Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4. The Lord noted that, well, Charles Spurgeon noted that Christ was, was thirsty to save that woman long before she ever thirsted for the water of life. He went to meet her. He intentionally arranged his his schedule so that he would be at the well, so that he could meet her and share with her the wonderful words of, of life. If you have a desire to come to God, you need to drop these excuses that you are, that you are making in your mind. And you need to run to Him with empty hands because He invites all those who will come to him? And Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And again, he said it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What is your excuse today? What is your excuse today? If you are outside of Christ, you are there because you have chosen to be there. Turn to Christ today, for you have His promise that He will give you rest if you come to Him. Jesus concludes His sermon here in verse 38. He says, see your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word see that's used there in verse 38. The first word of verse 38 is a common word that Matthew uses. It's found in this gospel no fewer than 60 times and it's a word that, that captures our attention stop, look, listen the Lord was once again urging his, his hearers to, to pay attention pay close attention to what I'm about to say and what was he about to say? We'll look at the rest of the verse your house is left to you desolate pay attention Stop, look, listen. Your house is left to you desolate. Everything that Israel knew and and held dear was going to be taken away from her soon. Very soon the nation would be be laid low and be as barren as, as this desert we're in. And the reason that such a desolation would come upon them is found in the last verse of this chapter. Look at the last verse, verse 39. For I say to you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This privileged generation who had Jesus walking amongst them, who were able to touch the very incarnate word of God, Rejected him and would never see him again until they would say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They kept on rejecting God's truth. And this generation of Jewish people lived until 70 AD. If you know your history, you know what happened in 70 AD. The Roman general Titus, he marched upon Jerusalem with his soldiers And he destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple, never to be rebuilt again. They lost their their city. They lost their, their nation. They lost their temple. And as a people, they were driven out of the land for 19 centuries, folks. Israel only became a nation again in 1948. It's all revealed for us right here in Scripture. And this passage, however, does not end on a negative note. Rather, our Lord foretells a time when Israel at large will will cry, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This future acknowledgement is certain I mean, look at look at verse thirty eight there, uh, verse thirty nine. Till you say. The scriptures don't say, unless you say. The scriptures don't say, or or, or perhaps if you say. It says, till, till you say. It's a word of, of hope, it's a word of certainty. Their abandonment was final for, for that generation. But it was not final for all generations. A time is coming when ethnic Jews in large will welcome Jesus Christ. A day of repentance is coming. At that time, Israel's reprobation will be turned to restoration. There is a coming day when the bride and the groom will be reconciled. And God's faithfulness, of course, does not depend on man's faithfulness. God made a promise to Israel. And we know that God is the faithful, covenant-keeping God. And He will fulfill His promises. He is a faithful, gracious, and all-powerful to fulfill His word. And I hope that encourages you, believer, this morning. I hope that fills you with much hope this morning. And as we come to a close, as we come to the end of this sermon, believer, remember the faithfulness of God should motivate us to live faithful Christian lives rather than these hypocritical lives that we have looked at. And my prayer is that The truths of Matthew 23, though they are are hard for us to hear, that these truths would serve as a reminder of God's amazing sovereign grace as it points us to His wrath which we deserve but instead have received His grace. We have been saved from his wrath, folks. And I hope that encourages you this morning. We didn't deserve it. But in his sovereign grace, we have been delivered from it. Let me finish just with another point. A genuine favor from God comes through looking at just three things. And I think as I summarised this chapter in my own heart and my own mind, I came up just with these three points that I think would help us if we are going to honor God in our Christian walk. And the first thing is that the majesty holiness of our righteous God, that is what earns us favor. Our righteous God. We need to remember that He is holy and that He is righteous. And if we live in light of that, in view of that, we would want to honor Him, we would want to please Him. Because nobody can stand on His holy mountain unless they are covered by the righteousness of Christ Himself. Genuine favor from God comes through the majesty holiness of our righteous God. And the second thing is that this favor from God comes through looking at the terrible sinfulness of our own sins in light of that holiness. And I hope that as we've gone through this passage, you have seen the terrible trap that Satan lies for us if we are going to justify our sins and make excuses for them like the Pharisees did. If we want favor from God... We need to see our sin as God sees it. And we need to turn to Him for the forgiveness of our sins. Not try and, in our own merit, pay for our sins. We cannot do that. Only God can. We need to trust Him and His work that He accomplished on the cross for the salvation of, our, for, of ourselves from our sins. A genuine favor from God comes through looking at the terrible sinfulness of our own sins in light of His righteousness. But The third thing, the third way that we receive favor from God comes through looking at the greatness of the mercy He has shown us in sending Christ to pay for those sins. He didn't need to do that, folks. He could have destroyed us in a terrible flood. Once again, he could have. He could have just snapped his fingers and destroyed the earth and, and started a new one. He could have done that. But he is a faithful covenant keeping God. And he made a promise to himself that he would create a people for himself that he would love and that he would care for and that he would look after. And we are part of this wonderful covenant folks we have received this mercy even though we had rejected him even though we are really no different to the Pharisees and he has shown this mercy upon us and we need to remember the greatness of this mercy that he has shown upon us by sending Jesus Christ Just three things, how we can find favor from God. Remembering who He is, that He is a righteous and holy God. And remembering the terrible sinfulness of our own sins in in light of His holiness. And lastly, the greatness of His mercy. The greatness of His mercy He has shown in sending Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. If we look at ourselves in light of these three things... And if we respond by placing our faith in the cross of Christ, then we won't be characterized by the religious hypocrisy of this generation. And I pray this morning, if you are not saved, if you are not sure if you are saved, if you have this hypocrisy that you have been hiding away for so long, please, and you want to make sure, come and speak to us. Come and speak to one of the elders. Come and speak to me. And let us show you again from the scriptures how you can know for sure but today is the day of your salvation unbeliever if you have never repented of your sins and turned to faith in christ today is the day of your salvation what excuses are you making this morning it's not christ's fault that you are lost it's your fault and don't wait until you're on your deathbed nobody knows the hour when the Lord will return. Nobody knows the hour when when you will die. Psalms tell us to number our days. Don't take them for granted. Because at the end of our days, we will all give an account to God for the decisions that we have made. What decisions have you made? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. It's all we can say this morning is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's all I can say this morning, Lord. Thank you for reminding us again of your marvelous grace, Lord. And how you desired for each and every single one of us to come And yet, in our own sinfulness, in our own stubbornness, we still run from you. We reject you. But yet, while we were yet sinners, you sent your Son, Jesus, for us. What amazing grace, Lord. And we want to honor you today. Thank you, Father, for saving us. And Father, we want to share this amazing grace with those around us. We pray, Lord, that... Your spirit would work in us and show us, Lord, how we need to have a greater desire for those who are lost. That we would have a, a sadness, Lord, and a compassion for those who are still lost in their sins who need to be saved, Lord. Please grant us a greater compassion for the lost and grant us a greater desire for your glory on this earth as it is in heaven. Lord, thank you for this series. Thank you for showing us, Lord, what it means to make excuses for our sins. Thank you for showing us, Lord, that there there is a day coming where we will be judged for making excuses for our sin. And that we will stand before you without an excuse, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would save the lost amongst us today, that your spirit would work in them repentance Lord that would lead them to faith we pray for those who are saved Lord that you would help us to understand Lord that we are your possession we are your possessions Lord and that we need to live unashamed for your glory so Lord we pray for that this morning we pray that you would continue to mold us and fashion in us in the shape and the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. For the joy of your people and for your glory, we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.